Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. circumstance here that just worked out really, really well. The University of Utah will actually be celebrating 50 years of Title IX at the game on Saturday against Oregon State, and I happened to find a fellow female sports reporter who covers the Oregon State Beavers in Addie uh, excuse me, in Angie Machado. Uh, she is part of the 247 network. Uh, she covers for Beaver Blitz. 4247 sports and she was kind enough to come on and join me and it just seems so appropriate that we're going to have this celebration of females in sports this weekend at the University of Utah and to have two women chatting about some football. Angie, how's it going? It is so good and it I always love talking football with a fellow female because sometimes it feels like all I do is talk with men. So it's super fun to have another female that can talk football with me. Absolutely. Well, let's get into it. You know, talk, talk to me a little bit about this Oregon State team. They sure have been fun the past couple of years and really seem to kind of be believing in themselves now. Yeah, it's been a it's been a long road. I, I've covered this team now. This is my 16th year covering Oregon State. So it's been a long road. Um, they've had some down downturn. This is it's been a decade almost of, of some bad football. We had the Gary Anderson era that did not work out well for Oregon State. And when Jonathan Smith took over the program five years ago, it was probably at the lowest point I've seen it. So um, for the turnaround that he has had with this program, not only with with just the team and, and their winning, uh, just the mentality and the culture has done a complete 180. So it's been fun to watch that. This is a team now, um, like I said, fifth year under Jonathan Smith. They made their first bowl game um, in 
God, I, I forget even 2013, I think was the last bowl game before last year. So um, it was a long drought, but uh, they did lose to Utah State in that bowl game. This year, they are hungry. It's a veteran team. It's player led. Um, and it's a fun team to cover. I actually picked Oregon State in the Pac-12 media poll. I picked them to finish third in the conference. So I had Utah one, USC two, Oregon State three. Um, I So far, it, it's looking like that was a pretty good, pretty good choice. Yeah, I would say at least early on, you're looking very smart for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, um, like I said, I had Duck fans telling me that I was wrong, but um, I just what I've seen from this team, and I, I think the biggest thing that Utah fans are going to take from this team is that the defense is much improved. Um, this is a team that has struggled so much, was one of the worst defenses in the country for several years. They fired the defensive coordinator, Tim Tibbisar, midway through the season last year, replaced him with interim Trent Bray, who then ended up getting the job, and I mean, all you need to do is look at what Trent Bray did last game against USC to know that this is a completely revamped and different defense. I, I certainly think people were put on notice after last week and, and even actually a little bit, I think last year when they took down Utah in their, in Utah's historic season, uh, heading to the Rose bowl and winning the PAC 12 championship for the first time, uh, how has Oregon state kind of progressed from them from then and and what are they doing now that they're maybe doing a little bit better than they were even doing last year yeah the pass rush is better um, than what we've seen um on the on defense offense is still pretty much the same Oregon State and I, I love playing Utah because I think Utah and Oregon State match up really well I think their systems are very similar it's a very blue collar hard-working smash mouth football program and, and I think Utah is very similar and I, I think coach Smith would say that he's kind of built this program in, in the likeness of, of what uh, Kyle Whittingham has done at Utah, just that really hard nose, not getting too into any fashion statements and, you know, all the, the transfer portals and, and all of that. I mean, they recruit guys that they can develop and guys that stick around that love the community that love the program. Uh, they did, you know, grab some guys from the portal a couple years ago when coach Smith came on board, but they really haven't lost too many, um, at least too many of the, of the guys on the two deep, the guys that are there are, are sticking around and, and being developed. So um, the defense though, is a lot more aggressive. They're going to, you know, swarm to the ball more. Um, it's a very, they'll show you different looks. I think what we saw biggest thing from the USC game was the fact that we saw different blitz packages. They, they gave different looks and um, they really had, I mean, 11 QB pressures on Caleb Williams, which um, you know, I, they did not sack him as much as I think they would have liked to, but that guy was like Houdini. I mean, seriously, he, he is that good. Um, I can't even believe some of the things he got out of, but Oregon state made him uncomfortable all night. And um, that that's going to be the difference, um, a, a different look than what Utah fans are used to seeing. I love that you brought up culture because I, when I look at Utah and the progress they've made in the PAC 12, that's been the biggest thing that I think helped think has helped them. Granted, Salt Lake City is bigger than Corvallis, uh, but it has its quirks to it. And, and you have to have kind of the right people in place that appreciate those quirks in order to, to make this thing work. And I think the same thing can be said about Oregon State and being in Corvallis. What What is it about Jonathan Smith that just resonates so much with this program? Yeah, you know, it's, and he'll say it, you know, I mean, he's not the the best speaker in the media and he's but, you know, he, he tells the players, I've been here. I, I did this. You know, he was Oregon State's quarterback that 2000 season that finished fourth in the country under Dennis Erickson. And, um, you know, he, he has that kind of guy next door. This is 
you know, roll up your sleeves, Trent Bray played at Oregon state. Um, you know, there's several players that are, are on staff, former players. And I, I've seen Whittingham do the same thing. I think, um, yeah, Corvallis, Salt Lake, Pullman. I, there's, there's places that kind of just kind of get to you and they're that college town, the family atmosphere. Um, and so Jonathan's really built this um, and that, that mold of, you know, Oregon state is a different place. It's not LA. There's not flashy lights and clubs, but, and, but the coaches also live, you know, a couple miles from campus and they have the guys over for barbecues and their wives and kids come to practice and hang out and run around. And um, it is, it's different. Um, it's, and, and that's not going to be for everyone. Just like, you know, Utah's not going to be for everyone or um, LA is not going to be for everyone, but it, it is a different feel. It's, it's not the big city. It's, it's a college town. It's a college campus. And Jonathan's really embraced that. Um, and then brought guys in, like I said, it's kind of that Mike Riley way too, in that you bring guys that want to be in Corvallis that kind of buy into that system of team first and work hard and love the college atmosphere. And They've done a good job getting those guys. I was a little concerned with the whole transfer portal, to be honest, because I thought Oregon State's going to get guys, they're going to develop them, and then the guys are going to bolt for greener pastures. But we're not seeing that. You know, these are guys that are bought in and they want to want to see this thing through. Let's talk about some guys specifically on the team now. Uh, you know, who who are kind of the key players on the offensive side of the ball for Oregon State? Yeah, I, I think you have to start with with Chance Nolan, quarterback, and you know he's took his lumps. I mean, a lot of Beaver fans are, are putting a lot of that blame on that loss to USC last week on him throwing four interceptions. It was rough. Um, Chance does have a pension to throw interceptions. I would say his deep ball has gotten a little better um, this year than last year, but uh, you know, where he can be kind of scary is when he decides to tuck and run because he does have some, some moves and he can, he can move. Um, running game is going to be a little different. Uh, you know, or, or Oregon State is had this long history of really star running backs um, through the years. Just last, you know, Jamar Jefferson, BJ Baylor come to mind, Artavis Pierce. Uh, this year, it's a little different. It's, it's more of a running back by committee. You're going to see three running backs, Deshaun Fenwick, a true freshman by the name of Damian Martinez out of Texas. And then Jam Griffin, a transfer, a kid that transferred in from Georgia Tech who actually burst on the scene. He was probably like fourth or fifth on the depth chart. Hmm. Looking over on the defensive side of the ball, you said that you think that's where they've made the biggest strides since last year. You know, who, who's standing out on defense? Yeah. I, when I look at this defense, I look at the, at the defensive backfield and it, they've taken their lumps over the past four or five years. This is a group now though, that's veteran. You're going to be seeing Rajon Wright, Ryan Cooper, Jr., uh, Katana Ladapo, Jaden Grant, Jaden Grant's a seventh year player this year. So um, definitely one to that you'll be seeing all over the field, but this is a group that, like I said, they gave up lots of yards over the past few years, but um, very veteran now um, and probably the strength of this team, to be completely honest, the defensive backfield. So um, held held Jordan Addison, the best receiver in the country, to that one touchdown catch So um, last week, which was was huge. Did not get any picks, though, and that was a, the turnover margin was a big part of that game last week. But defensive line, I think, is actually the area that I've seen the most improvement, and I've been probably more critical than a lot of people on just the lack of recruiting at the defensive front for Oregon state and that front seven lack of a pass rush. Um, we saw that this past week against USC. So um, made huge progress there. Um, Sione Lolo is going to be one that you're going to want to watch. She's an edge rusher. Um, Corey Stover, um, John McCartan is an outside linebacker edge rush. You're, you're going to see some guys that they're outside linebacker slash 
edge rush. Sometimes they play with their hand down. Um, so kind of fun to see these guys come out. You'll see safety blitzes. You'll see some corner blitzes, very, very active defense. So um, if you like aggressive, active defenses, this is going to be a fun game. How, how do you see things playing out with Utah? I know that one of the knocks on Oregon State, at least in recent years, is they are so tough to play at home in Corvallis at, at Racer Stadium. However, you get them outside of Corvallis and, and it becomes a little bit of a different story. Do, do you think that plays a factor at all in this game? I do. Um, you know, road games, I, I always look at, when I look at the schedule, I look at, you know, if you can win your home games and then split your road games, you can have a pretty decent season. Uh, and, and Rice Eccles is obviously one of the tougher places to play. Last year, I'd say absolutely this game is going to be super, super hard for Oregon State. But after playing on the road at Fresno, coming from behind, um, this is a team that's super hungry. And I, I don't know. I'm not ready to go out and say Oregon State wins this game. But, you know, I don't like the 10 and a half point um, spread. I, I just I think Oregon State, um, I know there's been a lot of knocks that, you know, they're going to come off that emotional loss to USC and be kind of play down. I don't see that. I see this as a hungry veteran team that's going to come out and really look for payback. So um, I think it's closer than that 10 and a half points. Um, I think Utah obviously has the edge, especially at quarterback. I mean, if I, if I put my two quarterbacks side by side, I obviously Cam Rising's getting the nod. So I'm excited to see Cam Rising go up against that Beaver secondary because I think that's going to be a, the matchup of the game. Um, but I do think it's closer than 10 and a half points because I do think Oregon State comes out kind of with that fire in the belly to, to prove some people wrong. I do agree. I feel, I feel like this game has the potential to be really close. And especially since uh, they decided to have it be a day game, if it was a night game that 10 and a half, I maybe would buy it a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, a night game there. Yeah. But a day game, I don't know, maybe, maybe Utah is, um, you know, I, I think Oregon state can compete a lot more than people are giving them credit for right now. I would, I would agree with that myself. Uh, okay. So let's do this. If Oregon State is to win this game on Saturday, what do they have to do? What has to happen? Control the clock. You know, I, I think they need to establish a run game. It's, it's going to be really similar to what I, what I said they had to do at USC, against USC. I think they have to run the ball, control the clock, and also, you know, win the turnover battle. And they, they didn't do either of those against uh, the Trojans. And we saw that 17-14 to 14 loss. Now, gosh, seriously, Michelle, if I would have told you 17-14, like you would have thought first quarter, right? <laughs> it, it was a very low scoring game. That was the surprising yeah. part. It wasn't that surprising to me that they kind of hung with them because USC does have a history of having issues going up to Corvallis as do most people. Yeah. So I, I just think Oregon State is going to need to establish the run and, and really control, kind of control the tempo. Don't let you, Utah get out to a big lead. And then, like I said, try to try to win the turnover battle. Um, Oregon State has had eight turnovers through the first four games and they've come in chunks. So they had no turnovers against us USC. So that really hurt them a little bit. So if they could actually, you know, win that battle, be, be plus one or two, that would go a long way as well. Okay. Let's flip it. Utah wins the game by doing what? Um, well, similar. I think Utah wins this game. If they attack chance Nolan and, and make him throw, make him go deep because I think then he becomes kind of a turnover machine. And uh, that doesn't usually bode well. I also worry I, Utah wins this game if, if Cam Rising is able to run the ball because I, that has been Oregon State's kryptonite is, is mobile quarterbacks. 
You mentioned that you're excited to watch Cam Rising versus Oregon State's defense. What other matchups are intriguing to you for this game? You know, the, the line. Utah has always had such a good defensive front. Um, and Oregon State's offensive line, well, not maybe quite as good as they were last year, is still, I would say, one of the top offensive lines in the conference, one of the top three. So I'm anxious to see how, how Oregon State's offensive line goes up against defense or Utah's defensive line. Um, if they're able to open holes, I mean, part, you know, my game, my key to the game is for Oregon State to run the ball. So they're going to have to have some success. And we all know Utah's def defensive front is so tough year in and year out. Utah will be trying to, to carry on without Brant Keithy. Uh, I, I don't think that that's going to be a huge, huge problem. But how do you think Oregon State can try and take advantage of that? Yeah, Utah has so many weapons, though. I mean, I, I think it evens the playing field a little bit that, you know, both teams top tight ends are out. Keithy's so good. I mean, I was kind of sad just because he's such a, a good player and fun to watch, but um, Utah has so many weapons. You know, I, that's just it. I, you look at their, their wide receivers, their running game, I guess like Cam rising as a, as a mobile as a quarterback that can use his legs. That like that right there, I think is the biggest concern for me is, is him running the ball. Since we are doing a celebration of 50 years, of Title IX, like, yes, neither of us are student athletes, uh, but, but just talk about how nice it is having this, like, recognition and awareness of women in sports now. Yeah, I mean, it's, when I, when I, it's, it goes so many, it transcends so many areas. I mean, I was, I used, I grew up surfing here in Oregon, so um, I'm old, so when I used to surf, I was the only female, usually, in the water, so um, I was at the beach just a couple of weeks ago here on the Oregon coast. And there were so many girls and women surfing. And I was so proud and happy that, you know, like, wow, this is amazing. Um, and then to see it just in sports media, um, to see not just, you know, for a long time, I think it was kind of, if you were a woman in sports, you were kind of relegated to a sideline host and, and we're not there anymore. I, I'm, I had a writer or my last writer that wrote for me was a, a female and she's now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and, mm -hmm. and to see, you know, women really trailblazing and, um, being not just sideline reporters or not just maybe a, a writer behind a desk, but they're actually out there. They're actually talking nuts and bolts of football. They're writing about it. They're breaking down film. I mean, it, it's amazing. Yeah, shout out to Amy Schwartz. She's doing some amazing things for Tampa Bay these days. Yeah, isn't it fun? I mean, it's so I fun. I always I've had so many, you know, young student athletes that have or young students that have wrote for me and, and worked for me throughout the years. But it's so fun to see her um really, really thriving and living her best life out there. So I'm excited for her. And gosh, I, I had another a student athlete actually that worked for me that, that was down in San Diego on the CBS affiliate. So yeah, I kind of sometimes feel like a proud mama bear watching watching these kids go out and spread their wings. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I think this is like a really interesting thing as well, because the celebration is happening through a football game, which is, I mean, primarily a very male dominated arena. And yet Utah is going to take time throughout the game to kind of highlight some of their female student athletes through the years and all of their accomplishments. What, what do you think that kind of does for, again, kind of helping to promote and, and push forward women in sports? Yeah, it's just such a, I mean, that's your stage. I mean, football is what drives, you know, college football is what's driving the athletic departments, the budgets, everything. So 
to have the the recognition on that stage is huge because that's where the eyeballs are and that's you know, the fans the, the great interest there but um to be able to recognize you know, whether it's women's basketball volleyball utah has the amazing gymnastics program um i think it's it speaks volumes for how far we've come moving back to the game on saturday i think this one has potential for i don't know something crazy to happen i'm not entirely sure what do you have any predictions for for something that's going to be just a little off the wall goodness i yeah oregon state always has like a trick play or two yeah so yeah whether it's a i mean I, i'm sure they'll try to run a fly sweep or two um i don't know if anything crazy i just be be ready for jack paletto i know your fans probably have and you probably are aware of jack the jack hammer <laughs> he does it all. He he actually came to Oregon State as a walk-on um, quarterback and moved to middle linebacker. And now he basically comes in, runs wildcat, runs as a fullback sometimes, lines up as a tight end, middle linebacker. He's on um, special teams. He does it all. So um, yeah, you will. That might be the craziest. Is you'll see you know Jack Coletto do something wild. You know what, Coletto sounds an awful lot like Jaquindon Jackson, uh, and he's kind of in the beginning process of moving from quarterback to running back, uh, but has the potential to do a lot of different things, I think. Uh, yeah. It, it really does. You describing Oregon State to me <laughs> really does sound like you're describing Utah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and I do. I, I, I've always kind of looked up to Utah. I think I, even you know, when Mike Riley was the coach, I, I just... I saw what coach Whittingham does, how he builds his program. And I, I see so many similarities, um, to Oregon state. Um, yeah, just kind of real, real guys that are building a program and value family and, um, build that family around the team. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think there's so much, so much there that are, are very similar and, and defensive minded, you know, I, I right. whereas coach, coach Smith is a former quarterback and, and offensive minded. He's really made it an emphasis to make that defense you know, better and make it a, a you know, one of the top in the, in the conference. What do you think it means having a team like Utah come into this conference? as kind of a little guy. I mean, literally a little guy. I, they started in the mountain West and had to figure out how to play big boy football, but what do you think that does for some of the other smaller schools within the conference that come from smaller places, uh, just having that kind of example of how to, I guess, build up a program and, and kind of shoot for the stars. Yeah, the blueprint is there. And, and I think we're seeing it more and more. And, and it's interesting because as we see conference realignment, um, you know, kind of move to the kind of super conference SEC Big Ten kind of mold, we're also seeing like the Sun Belt and, and some of these conferences that are really kind of putting together great runs with the whole regional rivalries, and um, it, it's kind of fun to see. I, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball to see what will happen to the Pac-10 here in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Hopefully they can keep it together because I think part of the fun is the rivalries and the, and the regionalness of what, or, you know, what we have going on out here. But, um, you know, I, I know that Oregon State-USC game was very heated, the fans, especially the students who, you know, did not let uh, USC out lightly. For, for leaving the conference. So um, no, I, I think the blueprint is there and I love seeing the schools that maybe don't have the, you know, the resources that some of the other schools have, um, whether that be recruiting base, whether that be um, booster dollars, whether that be uh, NIL dollars, um, 
everybody has their advantages, I think, but you know, some, some are different than others. So um, I, I like seeing the schools that are able to be successful without maybe a team owner or the flash of LA and all the Hollywood NIL dollars. So it, it's, it's fun to see. Okay, so I gotta ask, and this will be my final question for you, Angie. I really appreciate the time you've given me. What is your score prediction for Saturday? Okay, I got to find it because I sent it. <laughs> I sent it to Carter. Um, and you guys aren't going to like me because I actually did pick Oregon State. Uh, no. I mean, you guys. I usually don't. I, I did not pick Oregon State last week. Um, I did pick Oregon State to go 10 and 2 this year, but I had them lose beating USC losing to Utah and losing to Fresno state. That was how I had it go. I have to find it. I think I had it 33 to 31. Okay. So that's where I was at. Yeah. A little higher scoring. Um, 33, 31 is what I had Oregon state though. I I said it was a last minute. Um, and I, I said, Coletto, Coletto has a last minute run, give the Beavers the edge. So, um, that's where I went with it. Okay. Well, everybody stay tuned for Saturday's big matchup with Oregon State. I think it's going to be a good one. I think it's going to be, Oregon State's already had a really good test. I think we're we're still waiting for Utah to get their really good test. I think they get it this week against Oregon State. Again, this team is very hungry. I describe them as plucky. There's just something about them that that they're not going to go away. They're going to bug you until they get what they want, which is a, a win. Uh, and they did it last year against Utah. I think Utah is also motivated, though, from the standpoint of that just didn't sit well with them. But we will see how this all plays out on Saturday. Again, thank you, Angie, so much for your input on what to expect come Saturday. And best of luck to your Beavers the rest of the way. Hey, thanks. And yeah, Oregon State, I know you guys have uh, USC coming up here in a couple of weeks. So um, I'm sure your coaches will be using that as a blueprint on how to stop the Trojans. No doubt. No doubt. All right, everybody. Well, you've been listening to another episode of the Crimson Corner. We, we will be back next week giving you an update and a look into the UCLA matchup. Utah will be heading to UCLA in the Rose Bowl for the first time since, well, earlier this year on January 1st for their first ever Rose Bowl appearance. Until that time, I am Michelle Bodkin, your Utah Utes insider for KSL Sports, and we are signing off of Crimson Corner. Go Utes! It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.